We started a series last week called When Life Surprises You. And we last week took a look at vocational surprises through the life of Peter. And we discovered that if we're going to turn a surprise into a better surprise, that we need to be, because I say so, Lord, I will, type of a person. Today we're going to take a look at what may appear to be an irreversible surprise through the life of Job. Now I want to start off, first of all, by defining this word surprise. It truly comes from the Latin word to seize. And it originally meant an unexpected military attack that could cause a loss of progress, a defeat of a plan, a u- and a reversal of good fortune. Can any of us relate to this? Today we're going to take a look at what do you do when a surprise seems irreversible. When that surprise seems permanent in your life. When you begin to think, you know what, there is no way in the world I'm going to be able to dig myself out of this hole. How do you do that? Well, the answer comes from the life of Job, found in the book of Job. If you open up the Bible to the middle, you will come to Psalms. Then just go left a little bit, okay? It's the book, it's right next to the book of Psalms. And it is about a guy named Job. He happens to be the Bill Gates of his day, the wealthiest man in the world. He was powerful, he was influential, but on a single day, he lost everything but his critical wife. I didn't say it, okay, that's in the Bible, right? He, he, he lost everything. He lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his family. And you talk about a surprise attack that robbed him of his good fortune. Folks, this is it. And it seemed to be an irreversible loss because it went on and on and on and on. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. It is one of the longest books in the Bible. And and it is a complex book to understand. And Job felt hopeless. In fact, take a look at Job uh, 30, verse 26 and 27. I looked for good to come. But evil came instead. I waited for some light, but darkness fell instead. The churning inside of me never stops, and waves of mercy crash over me. Folks, he thought it would never end. Now, I have no doubt in a congregation of this size that there are some of us here this morning that feel like Job. When is this ever going to end. Well, I would have you know that I have read the end of his story, and he has a better surprise in store. And he, in fact, he, he gets back his greatness and more on top of it. You see, what we're going to do in this message today is that we are going to look at the book of Job, I'm going to give it to you in 30 minutes, okay? 
Basically, it falls out into two parts. There's the prologue, and then there's the dialogue, the, the discussion, the arguments that are going on. And in the last four to six chapters of that book are the answers to the question, why do good things happen to good people? Have you ever thought that? But the more important question is, will I continue to love and worship God when life is throwing me surprises that appear to be irreversible. And to help you understand the application of this book, I'm going to give you five things, and I have put them in an acrostic. Trust. T-R-U-S-T. What do you do when life surprises you? And it seems like that surprise is irreversible. In your marriage, with your finances, with your family. Folks, you and I have got to do what Job did. We have got to trust. So let's get started. T stands for really being honest with God. Telling God exactly how you feel. When you have had a surprise attack, and you start by unloading your emotions on God. You tell God exactly how you feel. Not how you ought to feel, how you actually feel. Did you know that when God listens to you, he wants you to be honest with them? Because when you are, that is called an act of worship. When you say honestly, God, I'm afraid, I'm guilty, I'm disappointed, I'm resentful, I'm mad, it's actually an act of worship because you are focusing on God. And so you start by honestly, and I would say humbly, telling God exactly how you feel. Notice Job's reaction to this surprise attack. In Job 1, verse 20, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and he worshiped. What Job is doing here is cultural. And he is humbly and honestly expressing his emotions to God. Folks, anytime you and I have a surprise attack, and especially when we suffer a major loss in our life, you go through four emotions. You go through shock, anger, grief, and fear. You go through shock. What in the world is happening here? You go through anger. Why in the world is it happening to me? You go through grief. Uh, what have I lost? And then you go through fear. What is going to happen next? And you want to know what you need to do with all of those emotions? You need to honestly and humbly express those to God. You need to tell God exactly how you feel. Why? Because God can handle it. God can handle the emotions that you have when you suffer some kind of surprise attack in your life. Other people may not. In fact, other people may misjudge you, but God will not. And God can handle your emotions because he gave them to you. 
And because he's given them to you, he understands them completely. He understands your anger and your doubt and your fear and your complaining. And Job was brutally honest with God. Take a look at Job chapter 7, verse 11. Job said, I can't be quiet. I'm angry. I have to speak. What is Job saying here? He's saying, God, I am ticked. If you read through the book of Job, you will notice that there is a progression of emotions in that. First, there is uh, confusion, but then there is a whole lot of complaining going on. Understand this. The right response to a surprise attack in your life is not to grin and bear it. It is not to fake it so that you make it. No. God doesn't want your platitudes. A platitude is what you think you ought to say to God or how you ought to feel. No, God doesn't want that. God wants you and I to humbly and honestly tell God exactly what we're going through, the struggles that we're facing. God, I'm angry about this. God, I'm, I'm scared. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm fearful. You tell God exactly how you feel. Now, I know this is going to shock you. Many of you are parents. I'm a parent. I have three boys. I have three grandchildren and one on the way. I've seen this even with my grandchildren, okay? But I definitely saw this with my, my kids. And that is I would say something to them, and they would question my judgment. Can you believe that? I've been a senior pastor for 40 years, and they were questioning my judgment. They never questioned my love, but they questioned. In fact, to this very day, they look at me, Dad, that is so 80-ish. Give it up, okay? Now, let me tell you something about those conversations that I have with, with my kids when they question my judgment. I would rather them to be honest with me than to stuff it. so would God. Jeremiah was a guy who got surprised a lot in life. And in his lamentation, in chapter 2, verse 19, he said this, cry out in the night, pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. What is he talking about there? He is talking about spilling your guts out to the Lord. You and I have heard this phrase in our culture, that honesty is the best policy, and it is. And a lot of godly people practice it. Jeremiah practiced it. In fact, he said to God, God, you have deceived me. And God allowed that to be in the Bible. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said, call me bitter because guess what? God has made me bitter. And God didn't take her down for it either. David said, Lord, I've taken the, wor- taken the worst from you, and I am fed up. And the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Folks, these were godly people who had faith in God and knew that God would not judge them 
for the things that were going on in their heart. Take a look at what David said in Psalms 116, verse, verse 10. I believed, so I said, I am completely ruined. David is saying here, because of his faith, he knew that he could be honest with God about the emotions that were going on inside of him. And he knew that that wouldn't break the relationship. Wow. You tell God exactly how you feel. So what is it? What fear, what frustration have you not talked to God about at your workplace? About your family? What about our church? What about our spouses and our families? You tell God exactly how you feel. Now the second step to a better surprise is R. You refuse to become bitter. It's okay to tell God that you're mad, that you're sad, that you're angry, that you're depressed. But you don't let that, the grief, the frustration, the worry, the fear turn into resentment or bitterness. Because bitterness is saying, is saying, you know what, I don't see the big picture. I don't understand what's going on. I don't trust you, God. I am resentful and I am bitter. Now, Job did not become bitter when he had a surprise attack because he saw the big picture that God was in control. Take a look at Job chapter 1, 21 through 22. Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I shall have nothing when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had, and they were his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, I had the privilege of being there when my wife gave birth to our three sons. Not all at once. One at a time, spread out over a number of years, okay? And I know as a fact that none of them came into this world with anything. They didn't have any toys. They did not have a big portfolio. In fact, they drained my portfolio, okay? And they had no careers. They were naked as well. Naked as jaybirds. As I like to say, they were naked in the sight of the Lord, okay? In my 40 years of ministry, I can't count, I can't remember how many funerals I've done. I did a funeral just yesterday. I flew up to, to Denver for a friend of 30 years whose mom passed away. My first black funeral. I loved it. It was a celebration of life. But I've done funerals that I can't remember. And not once have I ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You come into the world with nothing, and you leave the world with nothing. And in all of Job's surprise attacks, financially, health-wise, relationally, not once did he blame God. The main question of the book of Job, honestly, is not why does good things happen 
uh, or bad things happen to good people. Honestly, the main question out of the book of Job is will I love God and trust God no matter what happens in my life? Will I continue to worship God no matter what happens in my life? Folks, this is the ultimate question of life. When everything is going south and I'm having all kinds of different surprise attacks in my life that appear to be irreversible, will I continue worship God. Will you write this down? An untested faith isn't faith at all. You can stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon and you can have faith that you can go down it and up it to the other side of the rim. But until you do it, guess what? It's an untested faith. And it's not faith at all. Bad things happen in life. And when they do, our natural response is, why me, God? Why me? And oftentimes, if you do get an answer, it is not satisfactory. And so there is this silence. God was silent through most of the book. But if you see the big picture, that God is in control. And you're able to say, God, I trust you because you're a good God. That is a faith that has been tested. But how do you do that? How do you trust God when your heart is breaking? And your eyes are so filled full of tears that you can't see maybe the big picture. And you're a little fuzzy and foggy about the goodness of God. Folks, the antidote to resentment and, and, and uh, um, bitterness isn't to say to yourself, I'm not going to be bitter. No, the antidote to bitterness and resentment is to praise it's to worship God. Now, I have followed God for 47 years of my life in good times and in bad times, in not-so-good times, in so-so times, and in really great times. And there are some facts that I know for sure. Fact number one, that God made me to love me. Fact number two, that he has a plan and a purpose for my life. Fact number three, that God cares and he is aware of what's going on in my life. Fact number four, that God truly is in control. And fact number five, that he will protect me. That my life, honestly, is indestructible until it is my time. Those are things that I have built my life on over the last 47 years of being a follower of Christ. Let me repeat those just in a little bit different way. God is near. God, God is here. God is near. God cares. God is powerful. And God has a plan for good for my future. Habakkuk was one of these godly guys who was being surprised by life 
And as it was coming on him, he thought it was irreversible. But notice what he says here in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Even though the fig trees have no fruit and no grapes grow on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no grain, even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty, I'll still be joyful and glad because the Lord God is my Savior. He's saying when life just sucks, I'm still going to worship God. I'm going to praise God for who he is. What are you bitter about today? You see, bitterness will destroy you. It will ruin you from the inside out. And bitterness is a choice. You can either be bitter or you can be better. And as your pastor, I don't want you to be bitter. I don't want to see your life destroyed from the inside out. Rather, I want you to be better. Now, there is a third step. On your way to a better surprise, and it is you. You unite with other people who will help you focus on God. To experience a better surprise, I must unite with others who will help me to focus on God. You and I, as we go through life, we need other people who will back us up, who will believe in God when we can't believe in God ourselves. This is why I think it is so, so very important to be in a small group, having regular biblical community. One of the challenges I'm going to throw, throw out to us, and it's going to happen here in a few weeks, is that each and every one of us gets into a small group. Will you pull in your outlines? It says, time to dream. I've never corresponded more with Saddleback and Rick and his team on this series than this one right here. And my encouragement is that for each and every one of us, we will get into a biblical community just for six weeks. We got some great things in store in those six weeks, as well as some great things outside the walls of the church at the end of this thing. So that you can experience it. And if you don't like it after six weeks, you can say, Pastor George, I tried it. No thanks. Okay, good. But I think you're going to discover that you will love biblical community. Because you're going to find people who are going to support you and encourage you when you go through tough times. God never has intended any of us to go through anything by ourselves. He knows that truly we are better together. The challenge and the problem, though, is this. When you and I face a surprise attack from wherever it may come from, our natural reaction is to draw back. It's to build a wall. It's to separate ourselves, keep people at a distance. And God comes along and he says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That is the opposite thing that I want you to do. One of Job's friends 
gave him this advice. This was spot on. Job 36. Don't let your anger and the pain you endured make you sneer at God. Reputation and riches cannot protect you from distress, nor can you find safety in the dark world below. Don't turn to evil as a way of escape. God's power is unlimited. Others have praised God for what he has done. So join with them. Will you circle that phrase? So join with them. Other people have praised God. So join with them. Folks, that's how you take the next step. You've got to unite with other people who will encourage you, who will support you, who will believe God for you, who will pray for you, who will be with you during this time. Where do you find people like that? Who are with you in the long haul? I was telling a couple in the, in the hallway, and they were expressing, George, we're happy, and we're excited about the church. And I said, you know what? I'm here. I love this community, and I love LifePoint. And I'll be here for you. I did a funeral just the other day. Why? Because I made a commitment to a friend named David Coleman and his mom and his dad who I've visited and know fairly well. Because I said, I'll be there for you. We need people like that in our lives that are not consumers but are contributors. Where do you find people like that? At church and in small groups. You find them at church. Maybe, maybe you are going through a financial crisis and you think it is irreversible. We have Mark Mina, a regional director of Financial Peace University. Right here, sign up for it. Maybe you are grieving a loss. Maybe it's not a spouse, maybe it's just a loved one. We have Teresa Kiernan in our grief share. Maybe you're just going through some general stuff and you feel alone and you want someone to work with you. We have Rita Kobus with Stephen's ministry. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce and it's really hard right now because there's been some betrayal. We have Colleen McMacklevay. This is where you find people that will journey with you over a lifetime. And so you find them in church and you find them in small groups. Now it's interesting that Job's friend gave us a couple of really very important truths here. He, he said, first of all, pain is a great equalizer of a person's life. Regardless of your position or your power or your prestige, things like that, guess what? They will not protect you. There's only one person that will. God. And then secondly, he says, there is a better alternative than possessions and power and prestige. And that is increasing your time 
with God's people who will praise God with you, who will help you to focus on God with you as you walk through it. He's saying, whatever you do, don't turn away from God. I mean, what's the alternative if you turn away from God? It's bitterness. And God says, don't do that. Take a look at 1 Chronicles 16, 11. Go to the Lord for help and worship him. Life's not always good, but God is always good. Now, as you focus on God, what should you ask of him? Well, in the book of Job, there's a couple of key secrets. And the first one is that you ask him for wisdom so that you have clarity of thought, so that you have a clear perspective. Take a look at Job chapter 12 and verse 13. True wisdom and real power belong to God. From him we learn how to live and also what to live for. Will you circle those phrases? How to live and what to live for. You and I, when that surprise attack comes, we need to worship with God's people. And we need to start asking God as we focus in on him, God, how should I live right now? And what should I be living for? Secondly, you ask God for strength. You see, worship not only gives you wisdom, but folks, it makes you stronger because it helps you to see that God is bigger than your problem. And when you see that God is bigger than your problem, what happens is that it strengthens your inner man. And so to experience a better surprise, you and I need to be like David is. Take a look at Psalm 63, verse 2. David said, here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and your glory. Folks, that's what you do. You get your eyes off of the problem and you get your eyes on God. And when you do that, God becomes bigger than life and your inner man gets stronger. Now, that not only happens in praise, but folks, it happens through prayer as well. Take a look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul said, because you are praying for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ is helping me, I know this trouble will bring my freedom. Paul is saying here that the pathway to a better experience doesn't just happen through praise and worship, but it happens through prayer. You need to be united with other people who will help you focus on God. Right now, we're in a large group setting. And like I said, I can't help but think that in a size of church, that is in this room right now, that some of us are dealing with some things that, that have been going on quite a while. And you need prayer. And occasionally we do this. We want to pray for you. And so what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to do something. This is not weird. But with your heads bowed, 
if you are struggling with something and you're wondering, when is this going to end? Is this ever going to change? It may be financial. It may be relational. It may be vocational. It may be mental. I don't know. But if in your heart, you're wondering, how long is this going to go on? We want to pray for you. Will you just stand up? Just stand up so that we can pray for you. And if someone stood up next to you, you heard them. I asked you that your eyes were closed, but you opened them. That's okay. Will you just pat them on the back? If you're sitting next, just pat them on the back to reassure them that God's presence is with them. And let's pray for them. Marty. Father, we just recognize right now, Lord, that we have become byproducts of things that have happened to us in our lives. And Lord, we just lift up the pain and the shame and the hurt the frustration, the things that we don't understand, the things that we don't have answers to, God. And we just unpack those right now, God, before your throne. And we ask, God, that you would move and work in a way that only you can, Lord. We surrender the best we know how, God. We ask that you would open up those hardened areas, the places of bitterness, God. And we just release them right now to you. And we pray, God, that you would have your way. You have your way in our life. Lord, we do not want to control what you are trying to do in us and through us. So we surrender these things, God, and we ask that you would speak to us in the way that only you can and help us, Lord, to understand what we should do, and how to follow you, Lord, through this. Because you are bigger than pain. You are bigger than shame. You are bigger than those things which we do not understand. And I pray, God, for each person standing here that you would bring alongside them someone that can pray for them, that can walk with them mm -hmm. through this difficulty and help them, Lord, to see the mighty hand of you at work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May you be seated. We are family. Just turn to your right and turn to your left. Look and just say, hi, we're family. We're related. When we go through life and life throws us a surprise, God says, I don't want you to go alone. I want you to know that you have a church. I want you to be involved in biblical community. The next thing in order to trust God for a better surprise, is S, you surrender your future to God. This is exactly what Job did. Anytime you have a loss, what paralyzes you is not grief. Grief is actually good. Grief is movement. It's what will move you through what I call uh, the tunnel of chaos, okay? What causes paralysis is fear, fear of the future. And Job got some bad advice from his wife. Take a look 
at Job 2, verse 9 and 10. Job's wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Just end it. But Job replied, you talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Job's response to this surprise that appeared irreversible was surrender. Job said, you know what? I don't understand it all. I I don't like it, but I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord. In fact, look at Job 13, 15. Even if God takes my life, I will still trust him. That's surrender. God, you made me to love me. And I really want to love you back. God, you got a plan and a purpose for my life. God, I know you are aware and you care. God, I know that you're in control. And God, I know you can protect me. That my life is indestructible until it is my time. Folks, these are the things that personally give me comfort when I am suffering a loss. When when I am going through a painful situation. when, When life has thrown me a surprise. I know the kind of God that he is. And surrender is the ultimate expression of faith. Let me ask you this question. How mature is your faith? Do you have a fair weather faith that is only around when things are good? Do you have a washed out diaper faith that leaks when stuff happens, if you know what I'm talking about? Or do you have a faith, a mature faith, that surrenders to God because God, I know you're in control. God, you're God, and I'm not. How do you know if that's working? Or how do you know if it's not working? Worry is the sign. Worry is a signal that we think God isn't God and that we need to be. There's a last one, and it's T. Trust God for every detail. Every detail that's coming your way for a better surprise. In talking to my friend in California, Kyung, I discovered something. As you know, there are a lot of fires in California at different times of the year. And they seem to spread just anywhere and everywhere. And that's because there's a fire and there's embers that fly and float in the air. And a lot of times we see these houses burning down and we think that they're burning down because that ember has landed on the roof, and it's caught that house on fire. Well, it has landed on that roof. But that's not the reason that the houses, at least most of the houses, burned down. The reason is that that ember that's flying in the air lands in the gutter where there's some dry leaves that the owner has not cleaned out. 
And so that dwelling, as a result of that, burns down. My question is this. What in the, what in the gutter of your life is waiting for just one ember that will just ignite it and you'll burn down. Give every detail to Jesus. Outwardly, we may look cool. Outwardly, we, our house may look like it's the best on the block. But in the gutter of our life, there may be some dried up leaves of bitterness of resentment, of guilt, of loneliness, of confusion. And it's just waiting for one ember for it to ignite. Jesus says, if you give me every detail, I'll protect your life. Take a look at this promise out of John 16. By trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In this world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I have conquered the world. Folks, that's what Job did. Job trusted God with every detail of his life, his emotions, everything. He even trusted him with his friends, his relationships. Look at this verse, Job 42.10. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord gave him success again. In fact, the Lord gave Job twice as much of everything as he had been blessed with before. You see, that's the better surprise. Will you and I continue to worship when life is happening and all kinds of surprise attacks are occurring? Because we trust. And we give God every detail. Job did. And God was faithful. How about you? Will you give God every detail? Will you give God your life? Will you give him your marriages? Will you give him your families? Will you trust him? With Life Point Church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you God that you are good, that you made us to love us, and that you want us to love you back. You want us to know that you have a purpose and a plan for our life. That there is nothing that escapes your attention. That everything is Father filtered. And it is for your glory and it is for our good. And that you have the power to change things. As we trust in you, God. I don't know where you're at personally. You live in the South. You may know a lot about God, but you haven't trusted him with your life. Will you do that this morning?
Will you place your life into his hands? Don't be a person who's on the rim of the canyon saying, oh, I believe in God, but you've never taken the journey from your head to your heart. Will you just say, if you haven't done that, God, right now, I admit that I've failed, that I've trusted more in myself than I have in you, and I've seen the results of it, God. But today, I believe that you are the answer for my life. And I'm walking down the trail to the other side of the rim. I'm placing my faith in you and believing what you've said about me and about life and about yourself. Thank you, God, for being my Savior. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it may have been in your heart, would you just let me know on your communication card, just write your name, maybe an email address so that I can email you some stuff that'll help you on your journey. But will you do that? Let's partner together. God, I thank you that you're a good God and that you are good all the time and that you have given us promises in your word, promises that are true that you and I can take to the bank. And God, that you are faithful, that somehow, some way, you work. You work in us and you work through us so that things bring you glory and are good for us and for other people. So we lift this up to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.